Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. That's where our parable comes from this morning. Verses 1 through 13. The parable uh, before us today is really a continuation of a longer stretch of teaching and parables from Jesus that all have to do with the second coming of the Son of Man. In fact, if you want to read about that, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are all about the teaching of the end time and the coming, the second coming of Jesus. And Jesus says it's a time known only to the Father, but yet Jesus implores his disciples, you've got to be ready for this time, to be watchful for it. You can't pay attention to calendars or dates or events. That's not the way you're watchful. You just have to be ready. And these parables are about being ready. Now, Dave White, uh, our director of youth ministry, uh, with uh, his wife, the uh, incomparable and always fashionable Jamie White, preached on this very parable on December 26th. That was the last Sunday of last year. Some of you might remember that. Dave told us, that this parable has to do with intentionality. We can't get, wait to get right with the Lord. We can't just intend to finally get right with Christ. We can't put off serving Christ with our lives. We have to be intentional about living for Christ right now. Uh, it'd be easy to skip this parable because Dave uh, did a wonderful job on December 26th preaching on it, but I'm willing to bet some of you weren't here that Sunday. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying I'm willing to bet some of you might not have been here. And God's word is so rich and this parable is so rich, I'd like us to return to it this morning. And I want to uh, add what uh, I can dig up and those nuggets and those things in this parable to what Dave gave us in December. This parable is also one of a string of six parables that Jesus teaches in the last week of his life. That's what Matthew tells us. And we're concluding now our study of the parables of Jesus with these six particular parables, taking one each on each of the six Sundays of Lent. Listen to this parable, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep 
watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. May God bless to our understanding uh, this reading from his word. Final words always often have a sense of urgency about them. And these parables are some of Jesus' final teachings before he's going to die, as he's on the way to the cross. And they're filled with the urgency of making sure that a person is in the kingdom of heaven, that we're faithful, that we're wise, found living Christ-glorifying lives when all of this ends. There's a seriousness about these final parables that Jesus tells that just is unlike anything else he teaches. And a lot of them, there's a drawing of the line. There's a, a separation from who is of God and who isn't of God and a sense of finality. Jesus spends his final words teaching about the kingdom of heaven and what it means to enter it because time doesn't go on forever. Life doesn't go on forever. There's more than just the things we can see and just the things that our senses can get a hold of in this world around us. There's a recent book, a book that's out now by a pastor named Rob Bell, and it is just getting a ton of attention, uh, particularly his views apparently about heaven and about hell. I have not read the book. I don't have the book. I'm always slow to, to be up on the latest trends. Uh, but even the secular media is picking up on this. And there's been some interviews and, and things. But I did read something from an older, uh, now retired pastor who uh, does some writing. And uh, some, something he said this week on this big debate that's taking place. And he notices most of the voices in the debate are of the younger generation. But he said this. Wait until they reach my age. And the stunning awareness that heaven... And whatever hell is, are just over the horizon and there's no detour. Eternity is not a doctrinal construct to me. It is an emerging reality. Like so many of my friends before me, I am headed into it in the not-too-distant future. We don't know what time. We don't know how long. There is a kingdom, and Jesus wants all of us to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, we're told... Kind of the essence of Jesus' teaching, what he went, around, went about teaching was the, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your life because the kingdom is right here on top of us. And it's possible to be left out of the wedding. It's possible to have the master show up and he finds us not addressing any of his concerns. You know, everyone wants the Jesus of love and acceptance. But if we skip the places in Jesus' teachings where he speaks about separation or he speaks about even judgment, we rob people of being able to escape that judgment through repentance and through life change and the grace of God. You know, last week when the construction crews that are working out here hit a gas line and, and, and filled this place with gas and gas was all over the building, we didn't say, hey, let's not tell anybody so nobody panics about this. No, we needed to warn, we needed to evacuate, get out of the danger so that people could be in a safe place, get them to a safe place. We would never think of going through all the medicines in a pharmacy and start ripping off the warning labels, would we? No, people need to know what not to do so that they can also know what to do. 
As Jesus moves towards the cross, he gets very, very serious. Now remember the parables are all about the kingdom of God. And Jesus often taught with common images out of everyday life in these parables and about the kingdom to speak about this thing that is really beyond what the eye can see and and what the senses can absorb. And parables are subversive. That's why we've titled this series of sermons Subversive. Because with parables, they kind of work underneath the surface of our minds and our hearts. You have to dig a little deeper to get to what Jesus is talking about. And what he's talking about is of ultimate importance. Now here, Jesus says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. He speaks in the future tense. In some of his parables, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, present tense. But here he's speaking about something that is yet to come, something that is yet to happen. And this parable is in a string of three illustrations that are all about being ready for someone to unexpectedly show up. The first image that Jesus uses is of a thief coming in the middle of the night. That's certainly unexpected, isn't it? The second image that he uses is of a servant who's working at home, and all of a sudden the master, the boss, shows up. And then this third is this parable about a bridegroom who comes unexpectedly to begin the wedding. And before and after he gives these three images, Jesus says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know which day your Lord will come. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. And all three are meant to be pictures of Jesus showing people who show up when they want to and to be ready, the need to be ready for when that happens. In this parable, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins or ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The setting is a wedding. You know, Jesus uses pictures and settings from common, ordinary, everyday life in his parables. A field, a vineyard, a wedding banquet, a father and two sons. Just ordinary stuff. Now, weddings are joyous occasions. And they're by invitation. You don't just have a right to show up to a wedding. You have to be invited, and to be invited to a wedding is an honor. It's an act of grace. God, out of his goodness and out of his love, invites us to this joy, the wedding of the kingdom, and to be part of his kingdom in a celebration that will far outdo anything that this life can possibly come close to. Now, weddings in Jesus' days were very different from ours today. When we do a wedding... Uh, we send out invitations for the exact day and the exact time and location. We celebrate for the better part of the day, maybe a few hours, and then we're done. In ancient Jewish weddings, it wasn't like that at all. There was a general sense of the day and of the time of the wedding ceremony, but not the exact day and time. Usually the bride and the groom had been engaged now for at least a year. During that year, and probably a little longer, the groom would go back to his father's house and build an addition to the house, prepare a place to bring back his bride to live there. After a year, year and a half or so, maybe even up to two years, the 
when the groom had made everything ready and all things were ready, there was a sense, well, now the wedding could happen any time. And the bride would be surrounded by her bridesmaids waiting for the bride and his, uh, the bridegroom and his family and his entourage to come and get her. And part of the tradition was for the bride to be caught unaware. It was just a fun little thing. And, uh, and it would often happen, you know, when do you want to get someone unaware? Well, at midnight, of course, when people are sleeping. So the bridegroom's entourage would come in the middle of the night. When that happened, a shout would go up. The bridegroom is here. Get ready. And the bride and her party would have to get up, and they would have to be ready. And then the bridegroom would take back his bride, along with all the people gathering with them, to the place of the wedding ceremony. And it actually began with, the the Jewish wedding actually began with the consummation of the marriage. And then they would have this ceremony, and then there would be a lavish party. It would last about a week, up to a week. Think of partying for a week. The music, the food, the bills. And because this took place at night, you needed lamps to give light and to participate in this. Now today we have flashlights and we have street lights. But in ancient Palestine, you carried oil lamps so you could see and so you could get to where you needed to go. And then you needed lamps also to light the house or the area wherever the wedding was going to be held. And the design of the lamp was such that there was kind of this bowl of oil and the wick laid into that bowl and drew up the oil and you would trim your lamp, you would trim the wick, you would light the wick and that would give you your oil or your light. You needed to have oil in the bowl to keep it working. Now, the difference between the wise bridesmaids and the foolish bridesmaids in this parable is having oil. That's the difference. The foolish bridesmaids don't take any oil with them. The wise bridesmaids, it says, took jars, extra jars of extra oil with them. And a problem ensues when when five of the bridesmaids realize they don't have any oil to provide them with light to get to the wedding and enter the celebration. They are unprepared. There is an oil crisis. It seems that oil is what is important in this parable. Would you agree? But what is the oil about? What is the oil about? I think to have oil for our lamps is to have a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a life that is active with him, that obeys his word, a life of discipleship and following him. Now, it's one thing to be invited to a wedding and accept it, and many people have a conversion experience or they pray a prayer or they go through confirmation as a youth or, or, or they're even baptized. But we need more than just a conversion and the initial thrill and emotion of believing in Christ. We need more than just an experience of Christ. We need to have a life with him. We need to get a life with Christ. We need a life that burns like a lamp for Christ. And for a lamp to burn, it takes oil. 
It's not enough just to discover faith in Christ. You also have to go and get it. There's a claim to be made with our lives. Now, on another occasion, Jesus teaches two very quick, simple parables. And they went like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two parables about two men who have found something unlike anything else and they invest themselves with all they have to get it. We get oil for our lamps when we pursue lives of Christian discipleship. When we nurture our faith, when we grow, when we practice discipline, when we serve, when we love. We fall, we stumble, we do it imperfectly along the way, but we seek to have jars of oil for our lamps. We don't want to run dry. Now, a lot of people kind of start with Christ, and, but it doesn't last long. They're enthusiastic at first, but they don't stick or continue with it. Maybe the effort's too much. I don't know. Maybe there are just too many things that allure them away. Maybe those five foolish bridesmaids even have it, had a little oil, but it ran out. I want to have oil for the entire race of faith for my whole life. I want to go until the Lord comes again and that great, that great wedding banquet between his bride, his church, and him happens. Martin Luther said the oil in this parable is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not surprising, Luther helped uh, Christians reclaim the importance of being right with God solely through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. One of the verses that Luther stood on to uh, remind us of faith Comes, it's quoted twice in the Bible. It comes in Romans and it comes in Habakkuk. And it says that the righteous, or those who are right with God, will live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. There are people who have faith that Jesus died and forgives them, and they acknowledge that a wedding is coming, but they don't invest themselves or have a life in Christ. It says those who are right with God shall live by faith. Faith is something to be lived. It's a seed that is accepted, that takes root, and that grows. It is the wayward son who changes direction in his life and returns back to the father. It is a Samaritan who shows mercy to a half-dead man. It is never giving up in prayer like a woman who won't leave that judge alone until he hears her. It is like going into the vineyard and working for the Father. It is being a faithful servant, doing what the Master wants us to do in His household. We don't do it to be saved. We do it because we are saved and we know the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not works righteousness. It's faith in the Lord Jesus that is alive and that is active. It is active. It is oil in our lamps. I suppose the picture that Jesus would use for our time would be uh, batteries for our flashlight. Or if you need a little more rustic image, it would be kerosene for our Coleman lantern. 
In Luke's gospel, we hear Jesus say this, be dressed, be ready for service, keep your lamps burning like people waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Jesus also says, you know this well, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Well, for a light to shine, and Jesus would be thinking of a lantern, you've got to have oil. The Christian life is not just the initial thrill of conversion or a series of thrills in worship services where there's great music, nor is it just times of wonderful pleasure. It is doing the will of the Father. And sometimes it is just the day-to-day faithfulness and love that God requires from us wherever we are and wherever He places us. Sometimes it's just regularly reading and studying the Word and praying even when things get dry. It is serving others. It is teaching the class. It's doing ministry in the church. It's doing the things the Lord asks us to do, often without fanfare and thrills. It isn't keeping a religious checklist. It is just giving and living a life that honors the Lord. Now, why couldn't those five with oil just have been gracious and generous and given some of their oil to those five foolish bridesmaids? Because faith can't be transferred. You've got to have your own oil. You can't borrow a relationship with Christ. You've got to have one yourself. You can't borrow the godly character of somebody else. You can't live on the spiritual capital of others. You can't depend on others for your own salvation. You've got to have your own And there is a kingdom that has begun to come and someday will come in all its fullness. And there is a wedding and a joy and a celebration to take place without end. Do you have your own oil? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a faith? A faith that's lived out and active. A faith that has something to show for itself because it does the will of the Father. What's the application of the parable? Jesus ends it this way. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day. You don't know the hours. So we keep watch for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 90, verse 12, has a prayer. It goes like this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a wise heart. What better wisdom than to have a life that believes, that pursues, that walks with, that is active for Jesus. What better wisdom than to get oil for our lamps? Amen.